Hello and welcome back to the Elite Football Show. My name is Hayder and I'm your host as usual today. I'm absolutely buzzing to have Phil Brown back on the podcast. Every United fan knows Phil, obviously, does a brilliant Manchester United podcast on Beyond the Pitch. And generally, just uh, just a great guy to follow on Twitter and just a very knowledgeable person when it comes to United. So, Phil, Thank welcome you, back to the podcast, mate. My pleasure, lads. Thank no you for having me. And Kieran. No problem at all. And Kieran is also my second Irishman on the podcast today. <laughs> I feel a little bit outnumbered. But uh, Kieran, how are you doing today, mate? And uh, it's great to have yeah. Phil back on, isn't it? Yeah, it's about the first time the Irish outnumbered the English, but you know, it has to, has to be done, has to be done. <laughs> I'm half Indian, mate, it's all right. <laughs> but, um, look, <laughs> look, it's been an absolutely crazy day, Phil. And it's a bit frustrating, isn't it, that United wait till the last week i think a lot of people have been saying that i've spoken to a few people saying that united are looking for these covid discounts whether united will get them is another question but um looking at what's been said today there's been apparently a bid for sancho so the question i ask you really is is that true has a bid gone in and there's also rumors about dembele is there any truth in that uh I asked about dembele about an hour ago and what i was told is the only way anything will happen is it would be a loan deal um so um i didn't ask do you honest if santo uh bid went in but um the fact that united are seriously exploring alternatives would tell me that they're no longer confident that they'll get a deal done with dortmund um i mean they should be exploring alternatives anyway but um the only other thing that we talked about was alex tellis and the fact that they're still apart on valuation and um you know united are looking at it like in six months he can sing for someone uh, for free, you know, he can't play for someone for another 12 months, but um, this this negotiating tactic concerns me. Um, you know, if you really can't bring yourself to pay 16, 17 million for Alex Tellis, um, which is what Porto would take, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder just how much money is actually available. Well, that's a question, isn't it, Phil? I mean, I'll come back to you. How much money is available? Last time we spoke, we did discuss sort of the finances that Kieran Maguire obviously mm-hmm. came on your podcast, came on my podcast. He outlined they were they were quite frightening to to see. Obviously, as you said, four or five million were losing in match day revenue. But United are being outspent by Villa. They've been mm-hmm. outspent by Leicester. I know Leicester were on club, but other clubs who are much smaller. And we talk about our commercial mm-hmm. prowess. We talk about our commercial strength. How we could bring this deal and that deal. We're a joke in the market, aren't we? I mean, forget about what money is available. Just the the way you need to go about the business is appalling. You know, when you hear things like Andy Mitten say that, uh, or Patrice ever saying Matt Judge doesn't answer his phone. You know, that's that's what I do when the wife's out jabbing. You know, you don't want to give her any money. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I did that, and I'm in a, I'm in a doghouse, Phil. So uh, I'd recommend not doing that. That has a look of a man that doesn't want to spend money or doesn't have money to spend either way. It's the same thing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you do, he's the chief he's the main executive of the football club responsible. He's the commercial director. You know, he's responsible for um, negotiating these deals. It's really unacceptable that, I mean, if you got something more important to do at the minute than to be answering the phone. Um, and what, what, I mean, look, I don't think you know, it should be sending players that, that are coming recommended to them. I think they should be sending players that are a result of a process of elimination that they've skirted and feel that that is the right player for them rather than an opportunistic signing. They've done that in the past. But, um, you know, when you look at uh, 
allegedly Edison Cavani, Luka Jovic, what have you. Um, these are United are back in the opportunistic area. These are not players that United looked at and felt that these are the answer to our problems. These are now, um, you know, stopgap makeshift sounds, and this is what always gets United in trouble. Uh, they never learn. Yeah, that's the thing. And I want to come over to you, Kieran. And we're talking about, obviously, Sancho Dembele. Um, you, we spoke earlier, and I did speak to a, a Barcelona journalist. He said the similar thing to what Phil said. But Sancho and Dembele are not similar players, are they? So it's that idea that, and I've spoken to someone before on the podcast, that you look at Liverpool, if they didn't sign Julian Brandt, so they went for Mo Salah. And apparently Klopp didn't want Salah. But when you looked at the analytics and you looked at the style of play, that was the most similar player. You can't say that Sancho, if we don't sign him, the most similar player to Sancho would be Dembele, can you? No, look, it goes back to what we've said about United over the last kind of couple of transfer windows. Now it's it's changed since Solskjaer has come in. We've seen he's kind of looked at players for the positions, who he wants, and when he hasn't got one, he's gone after the other. We saw it when they're after Wan-Bissaka, they were looking at Thomas Mounier for... I think he was with PSG at the time as well. But this one just reeks of one of those where Ed Woodward looks at a player that plays in the same position and Solskjaer wants a right winger. So here's one that was valuable that they looked at a couple of years ago that might be able to be brought in. I said it to you when we were talking before. I like even the option where you go for Ismail Assar from... Wofford, if you really can't get Sancho in, not exactly the same type player because he's more raw, but has the ability to play on the right and kind of plays in the style that Solskjaer wants. If United came in and they signed him, you'd be able to look at it and be like, okay, this is someone that they've scouted. It's someone that they can see moving forward. But bringing in Dembele, even on a loan, again, it's kind of that short-termism and it's something that Solskjaer hasn't wanted. The same thing happened in January when we ended up having to bring in Igalo. He definitely wasn't going to be one that Solskjaer would have kind of tipped at the start of that window to be brought in. But again, we kind of had to do it because we needed someone because at the time, Rashford and Martial were both injured. So they needed somebody to bring it in so it wasn't just Greenwood up front. Yeah, fantastic points. Phil, I want to just ask you about the interest, whether it's true or not, in Ismail size. He's seen as an alternative. And you did tweet, I think... A was it last week about Traore from Atalanta? Mm -hmm. Is that a Sancho alternative? I mean, look, do you think Sancho is going to happen? Because I think that's the most obvious question. And are those two players, is there any legit interest in them? Oh, I, I no longer believe Sancho will happen, no. Um, I think at this point, it's not just about whether Sancho happens, but Borussia Dortmund saving face also. I mean, they can't just turn and sell him after everything they've been saying for months. You know, um, unless Sancho demands the move, in which case they could save face, but it doesn't look like Sancho's going to do that. And I wouldn't do it if I was Sancho either, because I wouldn't trust that United would come through with the money. Uh, and then you'll either look really stupid. Um, so Traore, the, the thing with young Traore is, yes, look, he's only he's 17 million minutes debut for Atlanta United like him. They've looked at him, they've talked to his people, and they told him that um, he would be uh, someone that would be in the first team. So, um, but, you know, again, it's the same situation with Hallas and everybody else. It's, it's one thing talking to a player, um, but, you know, they have to agree a fee with Atlanta. Atlanta don't want to let him go cheap. Uh, he's... Amazing young prospect, according to them. So I haven't seen the kid play, so I don't know. <clears throat> um, but um, that information was given to me was given to me a very, very good source, and I trust the individual. 
uh, individual works in football. Um, and um, I've worked, I've known him for a long, long time. And not once has he ever given me a piece of information that's been wrong. So, um, you know, he's worked for United players, everything. So this, this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I think that um, they have said, they've made it clear to anyone that asks, you know, about Sancho, that if Sancho doesn't come, they have alternatives. Um, and, you know, Traore was a name given to a number of United uh, people, a number of people like myself who were asking United a while ago. Um, so he's not a new name, but I would imagine what they've done with Traore, done with a couple of other alternatives where they sat down and talked to these people. He would fit the profile of what they're looking at. Um, so would Sar. I actually did a podcast, uh, I think it was about May. I was saying, you know, I, I have to dig it out. As I said, what, what I can see happening is United chase Sancho about the last week of the window and then they make, make a bid for Sar. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you can't joke about uh, this. But, but, can't because they're just I was because it's so predictable that this is something that United would end up doing and going after some cup price winger who just got relegated. And I could just see it being someone like him. I looked at young wingers playing for teams that got relegated. He jumped out at me and I'm like, watching United will end up going down this road. And, um, and here we are. And they get an extra week to do it as well. Well, the thing is, this is why you don't need to be in the know with United because what they do is entirely predictable. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can look and look at what, what what would incompetence lead you to. This is what is most likely going to happen. And so, Josh Kingfield and David Brooks. I mean, it's all about probability and possibility. You know, you look at United and say, look, what is most probable, right? And this is what I don't understand. How do these people who are on seven figures justify their wages? I mean, what do they do well? By what measure are they competent? You know, I mean, and, and I've said this, so we don't want to get repetitive about it, but people are making recruitment decisions on the football side that shouldn't be making recruitment decisions. And you would never see Mickey Phelan hiring the next brand manager, right? Right, they just wouldn't allow it for obvious reasons. Can you imagine making feelings sitting there in the interviews? Right, so much or what's your studio? You're a mad, you're good at some pictures. I'm it's mad. They would never allow it. So, why do they allow this on the football side? Why do they allow people who know nothing about football telling Solskjaer, No, you can't have him, you have to have him? Same, but anyway, sorry, it just gets frustrating. No, no, so, so, no some, something you something that you've, I mean, I listened to your podcast you did recently with, with Callum, and mm -hmm. something that you said, which which has stuck out to me, and I've actually, you know, regurgitated on my own podcast. But it's the idea that if Woodward left tomorrow, the, the Glazers would know who they would be bringing in. So, why is it mm -hmm. taken the day that David Gill left? Why is it taken seven years? For that to happen and and something that i'm i spoke to kieran about on my podcast was the idea you've seen that sort of picture of matt judge's linkedin profile going around <laughs> the guy who's involved with debt management is involved is the chief negotiator from united mm -hmm. it, it, is that incompetence or is that deliberate this is what i want to ask you because it's so frustrating as united fans that we're seeing other clubs with who are run properly, who don't have as much money as us, but they're scouting properly. Their analytics departments are top-notch. They've got directors of football. They've, their infrastructure is fantastic. And we're just a joke every summer. And it's embarrassing. And it's got to a point where at sometimes I feel like we're the banter club now instead of Arsenal. Well, look, I mean, United are a football club. You have to understand that this is a this is a this is one hundred percent a business, right? And the only metric of success for the Glazers is profits. 
Right? They don't feel the same thing you feel. They don't feel the frustration. They don't feel the disappointment. They don't feel the anger when Liverpool win European Cups and leagues. It's relevant to them. So to them, pre-COVID, United were making shed loads of cash. Right? I mean, it was a cash rich football club. It was a cash generating machine. They were getting their dividends. They were paying the interest on the loans. So there was no need to really have oversight. Yes, of course, Champions League was a concern, right? Um, but if you go back to the last financial crash, 2008, United sold Ronaldo the year after 2009, uh, never replaced him. And really weren't in a position to replace them. In fact, had they not have refinanced about three months before they did, they would have been in exactly the same situation Hicks and Gillette were in. So it's not a football club that's set up for massive drops in revenue, given their um, commitments, and given the fact they've already taken, uh, they've already drawn down on their 140 million loan um, of a revolving credit. You know, they could borrow the money to buy Jaden Sancho tomorrow. There's no question about it. Um, they, they would get the financing easily. But the problem with this is there's no end in sight for um, fans and stadiums. And it won't just be United. If this continues into next season, there won't be a transfer next summer. It'll be, it'll, it'll be like an American um, where it'll be just trades because there won't be any money about to do it. So I think they're looking at the projections ahead and saying that United's match day revenue is 20% of their turnover. That's a lot. Um, that they don't feel confident that that, gap, that, that, that that revenue gap is going to get closed anytime soon. And this is explains the fixation on uh, resale value. Look, if you're a small club with limited revenue streams, you, you buy players, you can develop and sell because it's fundamental to survival. That's what you do. Right, but unfortunately, that means you never see the best of a player because as soon as they get to the peak, they, they get sold. Right, that's not what top football clubs do, and United aren't the only top football club that don't sell well. Everybody does it. Real Madrid don't sell well. Barcelona don't sell well because the players that they sell are players that don't work out, the players that fail. So therefore, uh, they don't. They, the, the best players that develop and, and, and play well, they keep. Right, so they're typically selling off either young academy players, in which case they make a profit, or they're selling off players that they bought that haven't worked out, like Coutinho, like Dembele, these players, right? <clears throat> so you never don't want to take those hits anymore. So they're looking at young players that develop and sell, but that's not the, you. You can't have a a, a, a football club with the with the, the whole purpose is develop players and sell uh, and want to win trophies. You you have to pick one, you know. Because it's very rare you're going to get a bunch of young kids. I mean, even even Carlos Kira said this at Real Madrid with the Zidans and Pavons. The Pavons have to be the best. We don't even have the Zidans. We've got just Pavons. Right? Yeah. So, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just insanity that this is something that is any, 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 any roadmap to success. And again, here you have the, the business side dictating what happens on the football side. Great, great insight. For Kieran, I'm going to come to you about the sort of financial covenants. I know you're in finance, so uh, you can provide a little bit more into this. And I feel I'll come to you after because I've got something which you probably read from Samuel Luckhurst the other day. But um, talk, talk to me more, Kieran, about these financial covenants that United had to abide by, um, just so the listeners understand you know, sort of what they're about. Um, well, look, it, it depends. It's like 
in terms of what what exactly ones are you do you want me to talk about for this one? Because we know, I guess we know that obligation. Yeah, look, it's it all kind of starts with how the Glazers took over. It's not like a like what we see now with when clubs take over. Look, the most kind of one that's been in the media is the likes of the Saudis want to take over Newcastle. There's reasons why that didn't go true. But look, the problem was there was no regulation at the time that the Glazers took over. They they got they got, they took it over with basically none of their own money. Um, and right now, I don't think that would ever happen in the Premier League because there's better regulation. You've seen it now with potential takeovers of different clubs that there's a, that owners are now vetted, and that's the way it should have been. And the issue is, and kind of like Phil said, and he said on kind of the last podcast he was on with you that when you when you take over that when you're not spending and putting in and investing your own money into the football club there's going to be constraints we're not going to be we're never going to be like man city psg where you see their owners flood a lot of their money into the football club it's just Chelsea not as well you saw yeah, in the last five years 500 million in loans yeah. Look, look, even even look at what's happened in the transfer window this summer. You see Chelsea bringing in all these all these players, and I think that's the reason why a lot of United fans get really aggravated because you see the two teams finish on the same points. One team, you see their owners backing their manager and kind of investing into the squad, and you see another one really not doing the same thing. We brought in Van der Beek, yeah, of course, but... We expected more. We saw improvements under Ali probably the first time since Ferguson was gone that we saw genuine improvements, and everybody expected this investment to come in. But the Glazers aren't aren't going to do that. At the end of the day, the only reason they invest in to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is because there's a certain amount of money that they have to spend. You have to get over a kind of a it's like a cap floor that you have to spend in order for the amount of salary that doesn't happen in football. So they'd be perfectly happy with not spending any money coming anywhere from kind of third to six, because we saw the financials that came out recently, that there's not a huge difference between the amount that you earn from the premier league, from if you come first to where you, to if you come eighth. So according to the Glazers, why would they want to invest 200 million or let's say 106 into into Sancho, if Mm -hmm. it's not going to, really show it into their pockets because yeah the return isn't big enough is it you know, you've like, invested 200 I million i think it was like something 10, it's like about 10 million 11 million yeah. yeah so so for them yeah. why does it make sense so that's the reason why we're seeing this but you see the Chel- the chelsea owners who are you can see roman abramovich he loves he loves the club he loves going to games he 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 likes the sport but the problem is we don't have the same and because we don't have football people at the top of the club that actually enjoy they like being the owners of manchester united that's it they don't like being the owners of a football club because they they've said it i think it was joel glazer that's come out and said that he's learning the game they've been owners for how many years how are you still learning the game as an owner of the one of the biggest football clubs in in europe so for me i just feel like i expect kind of mediocrity when it comes to the transfer window because one i don't think that the owners want to invest because in terms of the rate of return it's not there for them and number two like phil said there's not football people in the positions where they should be and that's the biggest problem with the club 
It's a great point you said there, Ken, because um, if you go back years before even Edward was involved, uh, David Gill answered a question exactly like you just said. Um, Neil were knocked out in the semi-final of the Champions League, and he was doing, I think it was a Forbes magazine he was doing the interview with, um, and they were asking him about, would you need to go out and spend a ton of money uh, to, to get to the Champions League final? And when it, he goes, look, when you look at what we would get for winning the Champions League, which would be another 8 to 12 million. Doesn't make sense for us to go out and spend 130, 140 million to bring in players to get another 8 million. And that is the insight of the owners. And I've said this on my own podcast many, many times. This is exactly the metric with which they look at everything with. How much do we get back? And I've often said that if you got the most money for, for finishing last, that would be their objective. Right, because they don't care. They they they're not putting silverware over silver in their pocket. Right. I mean that that's they don't they they don't care. They know they're not celebrating trophies. They're celebrating profits. There's a reason why they had a leverage bite of Manchester United, did not Newcastle United. Right. You know, if you love yeah. the game, you go. Why wouldn't you buy one of those clubs? Why would you want Manchester United? Well, we know why. Right. If you love the club, why wouldn't you talk to its fans? 15 years, you haven't done one interview. I mean, that's the thing, Phil. So, like, I, obviously, I listen to your podcast a lot. And you how, how have you not had, I mean, have you been asking the club for contact? Because obviously, like you said, we know Andy's got um, amazing access to everyone. But I remember you saying that Edward did an interview with Andy, but it was, it was basically written, wasn't it? So, I mean, how he won't even do an interview. And the way I see it is that it's just, insult to the fans it's it's like you know what you line our pockets we're not going to listen to you we make money and at the end of the day fans are frustrated and we all want change but the, the fan base is divided the, you know you've got the love united hate glazers you've got the jose bum boys you've got the um you've got obviously the the people that are ollie in but some of them are a little bit too much ollie in i probably shouldn't have said that but anyway um <laughs> and you've got you know there's a few other people you've got which i can't think of right now but you've got these such a big divide in the fan base. So you've got the vloggers as well. You know, they don't, they like to do things for clicks rather than loving the club or wanting what's best for the club. You've got all these different divisions. And how do we, I know you've got us guys here, podcasters, no, I'm kidding. But how do you get, how do you get everyone united in one direction? Because people are saying, don't buy the merch. I mean, I haven't bought the kit this year. My, my brothers bought me the shirt last year. So, it's not on me that they put, put money in the Glazers' pockets. But what can we do? Because at the end of the day, United have to also renew the Chevrolet. Well, the, the shirt sponsor, it's an awful time to do it. They're going to start seeing hits now. And victory or success on the pitch doesn't have to be mutually exclusive from success off the pitch. But I'm seeing more Liverpool shirts. I'm seeing more Man City shirts. We're going to lose a whole generation of fans to our rivals. Mm. And then eventually the money will dry up. And what? Were they going to leave us our club in a situation where it's it's just an absolute shadow of what it was well first of all mate um you know there's no infrastructure improvements they've made anyway i mean carrington's really the only thing that's been built since they've been there um and it's current guys the stadium's a mess right they don't invest in the infrastructure they invest in the team because you can like you can sell that united's value is its brand right so if someone comes in to buy Manchester United, even if they're bottom of the table, the value is its global brand. 
right? It's not the stadium. It's not anything else. You never can be playing in the park, and they're still worth four billion, right? So they, they don't invest in the stadium or anything like that because it's worthless to them because there's no return on that, right? If someone walks in and says, "I want to buy Manchester United," you're buying its name, right? That's it. You're buying what it, it's institution that means so much to people across the world, right? And you know, the River Plate that were relegated in Argentina, still a global institution, right? Because it's a hundred and twenty year history or whatever. Um, so United would survive this. They were relegated in the seventies too. Still a global institution. It was less than ten years after. I think it was ten years after they won the European Cup or nine, I believe. So, um, so they would survive. Some, something like that. Um, but you're right in saying that the young kids coming up today, they don't identify with football the way you and I did. They identify with through video games, right? So this is why you see a much more transient fan and you see fans that are much more loyal to individuals like players and managers than they are of football clubs. And you see this weird proclivity of uh, both following and being obsessed with managers over a football club. And I've often said this, I couldn't, yeah. care, I couldn't care if Benny Hill's a manager of mine. It means nothing to me. I just want them to be successful. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm too old to be, uh, you know, in love with, with, with another man. All right. So, but, um, you know, as far as uniting the support base, look, it's so diverse, right? So you've got so many different variables. You've got cultural influences. You've got, you know, you've got the age gap of someone like me telling a twenty-year-old how to follow this football club. They don't. They're not going to listen. They don't care. So you know, I mean, when I was going to Old Trafford, there was no social media. There was nothing. Um, the culture of United support was set by people at the ground and a couple of very, very key individuals that amongst the support base. But today it's so big with the internet, with everything, it's impossible. You know, if you go to places like Germany, for example, Borussia Dortmund, what have you, um, most of their support is, is match-going support, right? So they can organize coordinated efforts against uh, Gergen, for example. You know, they can't do that because maybe half their support is, is day-trippers. They don't care. They just start to see, they, they buy a couple of replica shirts for their kids and go home. Right? They don't care about the overarching issues of football club. Um, so, but there's, and there's always been somebody there to buy that ticket. But I still think that would happen from, even if you know, they had a few years outside the top four. Liverpool have proven that that is, you know, would survive it. Um, I do have empathy with people who say I'm not buying the shirt, right? And people who do, because unless it's a coordinated effort, and I respect people's principles, they do. If you're not going to buy a shirt, it's like one man throwing an, an, an arrow at an army, right? I mean, you're on your own. And so it's, if there's a coordinated effort and we all support it, fine. You know, I, 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 but I'm not going to tell anyone what to do, whether they should bet and shouldn't. I certainly understand the hopelessness that someone feels when they're on their own saying, I want to buy the shirt of the football club that I love for me and for my kids. I get that. We all want to do that. And I feel hopeless in making this personal sacrifice that no one else is making. So I'm just going to go out and do it. Well, it's not, that's fine. That's totally fine. I don't blame you for that because unless it's a coordinated effort, then it really it's not activism to turn around and slaughter people on social media for banning edit shirts. Anyone can do that. Okay, well, what's the alternative? 
because if you've got one, I'll do it, right? So, I mean, this is what I say that the thing about the Glazers that bothers me the most is not the transfers that they took from me. It's the fact that I cannot buy my children a United shirt without feeling enormous guilt. It's the fact that I can't buy myself a football shirt without feeling enormous guilt, that I'm funding something that I loathe. But there is no other alternative. There's no, there's nothing else. In, in, I don't want to see that be bought by Saudis. I wouldn't want to support that either, right? I would, I would still actually prefer the Glazers over the Saudis. Saudis, believe it or not, you know, because my entertainment can't be rooted in someone else's oppression. Or human rights, yeah, exactly. So I mean, at the end of the day, it's football's entertainment. It's not worth someone's life. Do you know what I mean? When I see young kids on the internet say, I hope the Saudis buy and can buy us pair of bioplanets, it's, it's just insanity beyond belief. It's like, first of all, you get a short dopamine head of a player signing. So what? Was people being beheaded? There's gays being thrown off buildings. You see and see them? You know? I mean, I'm sorry. It's just, it, 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 this just speaks to the selfishness of modern society in some ways. But um, it's a very, very hard thing to do. And unless there's a coordinated effort, I don't think people should be calling out other people for banning it, sure. Fantastic answer, Phil. And what I want to add to that, and I'll pass it over to Kieran, is that uh, we're seeing as well that there are fans, especially the younger generation. This is not me going in on the younger generation. I mean, I'm 25, Kieran's, what, 28 or something. So we're still, I mean, all I've ever seen is Fergie. So, you know, I can't really talk. But, you know, I think the issue that you we find is that so many of the younger fans are just fixated on transfers, transfers, transfers. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't necessarily want United to go and buy the Galacticos. I don't want them to do that. But what I want to see is I want to see if United aren't going to buy the best or most expensive talent and go and buy the best young talent, go and develop them. I would very much happy to see United invest in Luis Campos and do what Lille are doing. I would love that because I get more pleasure seeing Mason Greenwood banging a goal than I would with Jadon Sancho. And there's nothing against Jadon Sancho because I, I think he's a fantastic player. But there's, there's more pride in it that you develop your own. And there's just no strategy, is there, Kieran? There's, we, we, got, we went from buy, trying to buy expensive players to then not, not buying expensive players and going from one manager to another. There's obviously that different style and different philosophy. And, you know, the fan base is disillusioned, isn't it? Yeah, look, at the end of the day, the, the plan has, been, has changed so many times under Ed Woodward. Before when we saw when we were under Fergie, how many times did we actually go out and probably spend on the top player in the world? You can probably count the amount. You probably had Rio Ferdinand was in there. You had when Robin Van Persie was playing excellent. But his his whole mantra was to bring in young players, develop them into kind of world stars. And kind of the other thing that we kind of went away from is Fergie always went to kind of the lower teams in England. And took their kind of star players we weren't really a team to go and spend hundreds of millions on five six seven players but the problem is the fan base that we have now is and i hate to kind of go back in on the younger fans but it goes to kind of what phil was saying is that they've started their fandom through playstation games and through xbox games where they're used to signing mm -hmm. uh, how many players for their fifa teams exactly. so they so they expect to see that now but that's yeah. not real life. That that's not the way a transfer works. They, it's like when you see people saying that United are interested in a certain player, and then you see all the comments saying, "Why haven't they signed them? They've taken so long." But they don't realize how long transfers actually take to materialize. Now, 
that goes that's not me saying that what united are doing is correct it's not because it's still the way we kind of manage our transfer window for me is completely backwards that we put so much pressure on ourselves like the, some of our windows remind me of the year when we played arsenal and beat them a2 and then the last week of the transfer window they went rushing in trying to sign four or five six players that's what this week kind of is reminding me of. You're seeing all these links and it really doesn't seem like it's well thought out. The The other point that I wanted to make from what Phil said about how there's not been interviews or you don't see people or people at the top of United actually talk to the fans. The last person that I think I've seen do that, and I can only say from personal experience, is David Gill. When I was over at a game probably about 10 years ago, I met him just before the game and he would stop and talk to talk to fans for he talked to me for about 20 minutes and he had no reason to stay and talk but he did you don't have anybody at the club like that anymore you have really the only connection to the fan base is the manager and we don't have that like you see how some of the former players talk about the club you see how ever has talked there was an interview yesterday with Raphael the way they talk about the club. And you can see what they know what the values are. But there's a lot of people that are now in high positions at the club that don't understand those values and they're going away from them. Really took Solskjaer to come in to try and instill those values back into the club. And it's the one thing that I always get angry at, especially when it comes to transfers, where fans are always really angry when someone like for example when Mengi got promoted people were saying this is just because we're not signing a center back it's like no give the kid credit for coming through and earning his chance to train with the first team and be officially promoted instead of just going on because we're not signing Ubamakana or Koulibaly like it's it's that divide we shouldn't be we shouldn't be dividing certain players because we're not bringing in players that we want because we'd like to bring them in in a FIFA game yeah, f- fantastic point. So, I mean, Phil, you got anything to yeah, add to I that? I think you have to understand that a lot of this is just capricious children. They're, they're out shopping with their mom that's not getting bought a new toy. You know, yeah. just throwing a tantrum that, you know, I want yeah. a new toy. Now, you you know, here's a hand me down. Now, I want a new one. You know, <laughs> this is happening, right? It's true. You know, exactly. So, you have to realize that a lot of it is young kids, um, spoiled young kids that, um, think that it's like a video game with fake money, you know, just go pay yeah. the money, you know, 120 million, you know, and uh, as if it's just, you know, you're pressing a couple of buttons on a screen, you know, that's just how business works yeah. at that end, you know, I mean, there's just so many contractual variables that goes into this, and I also don't believe Jaden Sanchez is 120 million pound football yet, you know, when you look at Paul Pog, we never paid full market value for him, full market price, Really a price that Paul Pogba hasn't justified. Paul Pogba at the time was probably about a £60 million footballer, right? And if he developed at that time, based on um, where the mark was at, would have been a £90 million player if he fulfilled his potential. Well, he hasn't. So this is why add-ons are important. So if the player fulfills his potential, then you pay them. If he doesn't, you don't. So you don't pay you know, Lennon would just pay 108 million for Joe Felix. Joe Felix is not a 108 million pound footballer, right? Phil Coutinho is no. not a 140 million pound footballer, right? Dembele is not a 120 million pound footballer. No way, right? So this is why add-ons are really, really important. And I don't care whether you're owned by the players or not. 
that's prudent business. Now, I don't think you know you should have done it a lot earlier, right? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Out this, but um, just you know, one thing I would say, um, just slightly on the on the David Gillies you met, you know, Edward Ward gets criticised a lot, but people forget that David Gill committed the ultimate treachery, right? And David Gill at the time of the takeover uh, was duplicitous. Uh, David Gill, of course, was the first one to come out and say that is the road to ruin when he was right. He also said it was far too highly leveraged. It wasn't the Manchester's best interest, which he was right. And then changed his chain once the Glazers took over and they were going to be his boss. He also contacted Andy Walsh, another United fan, saying if it wasn't for where you're at, it would have been the trances. He made a donation right, to the fans and then turned on them. Right, um, there's uh, Andy Walsh has wrote about this numerous times. Also, what Ferguson did at the time. So, yeah, he, uh, he's not he's not um, guilt free, is he? Phil? No, I mean, no, 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 they, no. They enabled it. No, listen, Ferguson, I, I love him, right, as a football manager, but the Glazers were at that football club because of his own greed. It's as simple as that. Um, and because of his fallout over uh, Cubic Expression with JP McManus and Magna. And so he wanted the Glazers there, not for Manchester United's best interest, for his. Right? This was over the horse, wasn't it? The of Gibraltar course. one. Yes, and yeah, then the yeah. 99 questions that went to the board, and a lot of them were about his son. You know, look, I've talked to ex-United players who were there at the time, off the record, and there's a lot of things they tell you that you could never repeat. And, you know, is this a Ferguson brilliant football manager? And I suppose maybe whatever industry you're in, you have to have an element of being a bastard to succeed. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Um, but uh, by no means an angel. And by no means can you exonerate Ferguson from the mess that he never defend themselves in. And I hope that when he sets up there, as great a manager as he is, and I want to see him be successful, there's also a part of him that feels responsible for this. Because, yeah. you know, United fans... Uh, I've paid the price for this. There's no need for any of this. This is all down to greed. This is all down to people whose only interest in Manchester United was lying in their own pockets. Um, and so, uh, and David Gill uh, also missed out on a lot of players too. When Ed Woodward first came in, Woodward did try to talk to fans. You know, he was he was available to do interviews. I've, I've sat in the guy's company. I've met him a couple of times. He's extremely... Yeah, you Bear with him, haven't you? Yeah, he's a nice guy. But they're not going to give. Yeah, they're not going to give him to someone like me to do an interview. There's no way. You know, I mean, they'll they'll laugh at me if I ask for him. They'll just be like, no, no. They're not going to give him the people that are, you know, you on Phil. They don't want to. They don't want to allow that. That's the problem. Isn't now, it? Here's the thing. I, I I have a good relationship with United, right? Um, they know what I am, right? They know exactly what I what what I'm like, right? And um, if I ever, you know, I, I have arguments with them all the time. They're good-natured arguments, right? But they go on forever about what they should be doing, shouldn't be doing, and credit taken for this, and credit taken for that, and how I disagree and everything. Um, you know, when we're doing the show, I'm just talking about Javich and uh, Cavani. Uh, yeah. the, the response was... We're at the stage where names are getting placed by agents everywhere, and I asked that neither of them accurate and saying, not saying there haven't been discussions, but the way it was dropped, it always makes them sound eminent. 
Um, and then, like I said, uh, on Talis, yeah, don't forget we can send free from January. So there's Jabic and Cavani are obviously players now that I've talked to, right? Um, but uh, they're not as advanced. But I would say this. When I was asking about Van de Beek, I got a very similar response saying that uh, they're they're not as advanced as what people are saying. I think what United are trying to be careful of is they don't want to set up the expectation of the players. And when it doesn't send, and then we would get slaughtered, right? So I think they're, they're cautious about that. So, um, but uh, when you see there's certain people, I know the likes of Sam Lockers gets criticised, but Sam is exceptionally well connected. Right, and gets very good information. I know where he gets it from. Um, so just because it may conflict with someone else's, remember they're getting information too, right? And you're only as good as the information that you get. And it's and it's not always right. So um, like I know Fabrizio Romano gets information from the agents and what have you. Great guys, exceptional yeah. what he does, right? Yeah. But it's but it's just being brief from another source and negotiations. Maybe both of them are right, both of them are wrong. Who knows? But it's not for for other journalists to get attacked because they also report something that conflicts with Fabrizio because they're being briefed by other people involved. You know, so um, it's a. Uh, it's, it's a shit show. Most of the stuff I get, I don't tweet because I just can't be bothered with the slew of negativity that comes with it. It's, it's, or if I tweet it out, I immediately mute it because I just don't want to read it. You know? Yeah. So, um, like, the stuff... But that's I've the thing. That's the point, Phil. That's the point I wanted. Me, me and Kieran have been speaking about it. I mean, you know, like I've, I've I had the pleasure of speaking to you. I spoke to Jamie Jackson. And Jamie Jackson wrote um, Ollie's biography or, or yeah the biography it's getting released one in the next two weeks and mm. there's people in in the comments it's because this, this is a problem with i think just generally society i don't want to say it's just football i think it's society that mm -hmm. if you hear a piece of information that you don't like people will attack you and, course, and, uh, yeah. and that's the point you know yeah. yeah yeah exactly i mean you i know you get it a lot i've seen so many people rob blanchett was on my podcast yesterday he gets mm -hmm. it a lot even yeah. today because i put out a few clips and he's getting abuse because of his not even his opinion if he puts down the source and this is a problem that like you said there's different sides of a negotiation if fabrizio talks to the agent you might talk to united directly united mm -hmm. are going to tell you yeah. something different but the agent will tell someone different no one's necessarily wrong it's just different sides of the negotiation table of course. but what i want to do ask about Sabakas because you've you've brought him in and i know he was on your podcast quite a while back now maybe what three four yeah. months ago and mm -hmm. a great great episode he's one person who just gets so much hate but he mm -hmm. did report that it might be financially beneficial for united to delay the bid for sancho till the 30th of september due to it being reported in the accounts a little bit later on i mean is any of this true and i just want to add one little point about this it's funny because these are the same people that don't believe Luckhurst when he says Sancho, let's say he says Sancho doesn't happen, but they believe him when it suits them. And this is a problem, isn't course, it? The Toonie fans, they believe what they want to hear. Um, so yeah, that's the question. I mean, is this true about this delaying it after the 30th because it might be put on in, in later accounts? Um, honestly, I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, but uh, I would find that hard to believe because I would at least accept Surely United would say to Borussia Dortmund, look, let's agree on the fee and everything, and then let's make it official after this for this reason, right? I mean, that would make sense to me, right? What wouldn't make sense to me is to wait until that day and then decide to ring Borussia Dortmund, 
right? I mean, these things can be agreed on the phone, right? <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to publish something. Thanks, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to negotiate a price on something and say, tell you what, let's, let's, let's make it effective oh, October 1st, you could do that. Yeah. But you wouldn't certainly see what's going on in the media right now with Bruce Dortmund saying that he's dead. I mean, they've got, they, they, they want to save face too. So I think, um, you know, I think if you need to pay Bruce Dortmund's asking price, they'll still get him. Um, but there's also the fact that, if you, you you have to always do for United, you just need to look, extrapolate logic to find out what they're going to do. So you can easily see what their money men are sitting here looking at going, look, we don't see fans in stadiums until maybe the end of the season, right? So there's no way prices at the art, what they are today, will still be what they are 12 months from now. Let's just wait, right? And then Bruce Dortmund will have to sell them cheaper in a year. Right? Because there won't be that many clubs about that will have any money anyway. And if you don't have any money to spend, then your valuation is worthless. Right? Evaluation is only relevant if people are willing to come close to paying it. So, um, you know, you always see Real Madrid and Barcelona, the mess they're in. You know, they also depend on buyers too. So uh, they're trying to shift players. They're trying to they get rid of Gareth Bale. They're trying to shift Luka Jovic. They're trying to shift a number of players because they can't afford to carry that anymore. Same with Barcelona. I got rid of Luis Suarez. Um, and so um, I think for United, they're probably looking at it saying, it just it makes sense to wait another year. And it goes back to what Kieran was saying. They're probably looking at the squad right now saying, we've got enough to finish top four. If we don't win the league, so what? All right? We'll finish top four. We'll be okay with that. You know, because Dean Sanchez isn't guaranteed in the league anyway. Right? So um, I think that they will look at it and decide that yeah. let's wait another year. But I want to pass it over to Kieran. This idea, and we've discussed this many, many times. For me and Phil, I can I'll come back to you after. But there was two players that I looked at this summer, who I always, who I've always thought going to be top, top players, and that's Sancho and Upamecano. And two players who I thought now are never for United. If United really were serious, we we know obviously that's not necessarily the case. But they're two players who United have technically got a free run at if the money was there to make those signings. Kieran, honestly, this is my opinion. I mean, I don't think Sancho is going to happen. I've been saying this now for what three weeks. If we don't get Sancho now, we're not as attractive proposition next season. If the likes of Liverpool come in, let's say one of their front three goes, Man City can come in, Chelsea as well. Remember, he is a Chelsea fan. I know that doesn't really matter much to the to the modern day footballer, but you know, United are leaving it very, very late and in a very, very dangerous situation, aren't they? Yeah. Look, I was under the impression when. It, when it went past that kind of fictitious window that um, Dortmund left and that the clubs completely stopped kind of talking in terms of through the media and stuff, I was kind of convinced Sancho wasn't going to happen. I, I just had that feeling that it, it, this just isn't something that's happening this year. And to go back to what Phil um, said, each player is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for. So if it comes to next year and... Let's say Madrid, United, and City want them, but the most that they're willing to pay is ninety million. Well, then it's not like Dortmund are going to get any more than what we're looking for now. It's for me, it's always been a risky tactic from Dortmund if the fee that people were talking about were true, where it went up to a hundred million. Because, like I said to you earlier, anything can happen. 
what would happen if Sancho got a, a bad injury this year or didn't perform as well? We've seen it in years. Like think of the one that I always think of is about two or three years ago, Milinkovic Savage was one that everybody was talking about, 80, 90 million player, and suddenly nobody's in for him. I was now, swapping for Pogba tomorrow. Yeah, but like for, uh, think, for example, he uh, was linked with United, City, Madrid, everybody was yeah. supposed to be in for him. He had, the other one's Belotti from yeah, Torino. Exactly, and he had a down season, and then suddenly people aren't going to pay the amounts that Torino um, wanted for Belotti because he just didn't have as good a season. Now, Dortmund are well within their rights to say we're not selling Sancho because he's a key player to that team, but let's just say the coronavirus stays around for the next for the next year fans aren't allowed into stadiums and clubs still don't have the money to spend because you look at madrid's finances barcelona's that's not going to change in a year's time unless liverpool are able to probably sell whether it be salah or Mane to a team but i still wouldn't say where that would come from they probably won't be able to get involved in the sancho so you're probably in the same scenario except for there's another year down the line where there's one last year on Sancho's contract where Sancho, he wants to go to United. Obviously, he's not going to come out and say that I want to go because I know there's some some kind of contractual stuff in terms of bonuses and things like that. So it's a risky tactic by both teams. Yes, United have a free run at him this year, but we don't know if they're going to have a free run at him next year as well because I can't see finances from in world football changing much. It might even go down. Yeah. And because the longer this virus happens where there's no fans in the stadium, the worse it's going to be for clubs. And so I think both teams are playing a very risky game here because Dortmund, yes, they're well within their rights where they want to keep the player and not have to sell them unless they get 120 million. But if anything can happen to where the actual value of Sancho could go down, like mm. Phil said, I don't think there's many players in world football that are worth 120 million you probably have Mbappe and that's one that's one player that I would say is worth that is worth that money because he can make he can have that spark Sancho probably is when you look at that 80 million bracket that can move up a little bit more so it, it's going to be one of those that it could all depend on what happens this year to see what's gonna what's gonna take place the same thing with the Alex Tellers one the one that always annoyed me is when United say well he's for he's free when it comes to January but that's only that's only free if he comes to you if he goes to somebody else it doesn't matter that shows it's that shows it's a monetary decision rather than a footballing decision well yeah but we know if United was serious they left left back position and you you can it's quite clear Luke Shaw's improved but if you want to win the title Luke Shaw is not the left back that's going to get you there and so when you're looking at that decision I mean I I want to pass over to Phil quickly because uh, we're sort of running out of time another 10 minutes but um looking at United's start to the season probably the biggest smashing crowd we've ever seen against against Brighton I mean I don't know how I don't know if you watched that live did you watch that live I saw you tweeting about it. I was actually woke up. I was I was I was telling you that I was sick I I was really sick is that what made you sick no, I was, I was going at 4.30 in the morning here, right? And, um, you know, Brighton equalised, which was the most predictable equaliser ever because you never just weren't learning that, you know, Mark's only March. He's, you know, how many chances oh, yeah. we had, right? You know, um, any day they, they score and I'm in a bad mood, right? I'm, 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 
<laughs> I want to say what was going to say out of my head. Um, and I actually turned it off, right? And um, a few expletives turned it off. And then I went <laughs> online and saw a picture of Bruno Fernandez celebrating a penalty. I'm like, fuck, I must have been strong shrooms I was on last night. What, what happened? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I start sleeping. What, what penalty? And then uh, I obviously I saw what happened. I'm like, hi, have you needed one this? You know, I never know. Um, so, um, so it was it was definitely a smashing grab. They didn't deserve to win it. But you know, another variable that when it comes into United's you know, transfer business that doesn't necessarily affect some other clubs is Brexit, and uh, that United you know, are going to have to factor into the financial impact of that and currency devaluation, right? Because you know, its debt is in dollars. So yeah. if the British pound drops, you know, that debt goes up, right? Um, in, in relation to what you need to make. So um, I think uh, Brexit is going to also ha heavily impact, you know, its revenue because like, football is a microcosm of society, right? If just fans in stadiums, just because if fans aren't getting the stadiums, they're not getting them anywhere else, right? So that means people are still losing jobs. That means people don't have enough money. That means advertisers lose money. That means that people are dropping subscriptions on TV. That means tell, 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 TV companies want rebates. Uh, it just continues to drop. So, um, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing for football to have a financial reset because some of it was getting absurd anyway, yeah. right? And and we need to take a look at why we need to be playing paying players four or five, six hundred thousand pound a week, which is just truly absurd. You know, um, it, it just shouldn't be happening. Uh, but um, but that being said, I do think they should be the highest paid people in the sport. You know, uh, more than executives, more than anyone else. You know, I'm a big boxing fan. I believe boxers should be making more than anybody. Promoters, anybody, yeah. they're the ones putting their life on the line. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Footballers are the ones that have to live with all the ailments that come after football. Um, so I think they should be the highest paid. But um, but I think that um, we should see things like salary caps and better distribution of that money for for clubs lower down the leagues and what have you, for players that end up injured, for for things like uh, mental health services, for things that yeah. affect human beings outside of football, that they're really starved of resources. Um, so I think um, I think there's just so many variables with how United are looking at their financial. Uh, you know, as you know, you know, I talked to him earlier in the season where they sent me, well, earlier in this window, they sent me in a, a long, what I ended up publishing was just a tiny excerpt of what they actually sent. Uh, there was a yeah. big, big, long response to it. Is that the one that you put out, which was the statement from the club saying, yeah, you, know, you, got you got a lot of shit for it because apparently people saying, you know, you know how it is. But yeah, the I mean, one from, which you wonder, like, did, what world did the people live in a world where, where people make this up and that's reasonable? <laughs> I mean, I, I I I don't I don't understand what type of person would say, yeah. There's a guy there in California that's gonna fake this. I mean, it would take about five seconds for it to be figured out that it's bullshit. You know. I remember, I you messaged me. Um, you messaged me before Regulon was going to um, before he was off. Now before Fabrizio said it, you messaged me saying Regulon's off, by the way. And literally an hour later, happened. Look, look um, I've been doing this ten years, right? Unless I'm winning the bird box challenge, right? The, the, you're going to talk to people that work in the sport that might know something. You know, it's not that difficult. 
You know, it's not it's not like I'm sitting here communicating with the, with the dead through clairvoyance. You know, I mean, you can read them if you want. You know, if you work with them long enough, they will tell you things. You know, it's it's okay. It's not. You know, I don't understand why people think that it's just such a weird and impossible thing to accomplish. You know, I mean, I've had United players on my podcast for ten years. You know, why do they think I'm getting them? You know, yeah. I mean. Of course, I told. Do they love me? No, you know, because they know that I will criticize the Glazers. And sometimes when I put out tweets, they immediately message me to refute what I said, you know. Um, but at the same time, I'm grateful to have a relationship with the football club where they consider me relevant enough to, to have these discussions and tell me these types of things. And um, and I try to be fair. I will adjust my opinions if I'm better informed. If I'm wrong on something, I'll say that I'm wrong. You know, and, I'm, and yeah. as I get better informed, some things, some views change because they tell me things that I'm that I may be wrong on. I understand that, um, but uh, you know, like, like we've just talked to you about stuff that they've just sent me. You know, on you know, I, if, I'm not like, I'm not a journalist, right? So I don't go looking for these stories. I ask after they break, right? So that's the difference. Some people will will dig, work hard for Peter Romano as a journalist. He, he they uncover these stories. Once they come out, I ask about them, right? Nine times out of ten, they give me an answer. Sometimes they don't, right? Um, but uh, you know, so I'm not making this up. I'm not, I mean, if I was putting, uh, uh, if I was claiming an official, something official from Manchester United, right? First of all, they could sue me for libel, right? And, and claim that you cannot claim something that came from us that didn't, right? I mean, I, I legally get ruined, right? <laughs> it's just absurd. Yeah. And and of all, all the assets. how long would it take someone like Andy Midden to say this is bullshit? You know, yeah. so you know, if it, if it, if you're making this stuff up, it's going to be uncovered immediately. So, um, so you know, anything that I'm saying that first of all, I don't make transfer rumors up at all, ever, right? Not once in my life have I done it. You're I've not in there though. You have ten you know, as well. Do my time, right? Yeah, I've got more kids than Bernardo's. I've got, you know, I've got another business. I'm busy, right? I don't have time to sit on the internet and make this stuff up, right? So it's yeah. just, I don't have time. And so, and I really don't, I don't judge my life by how many numbers is on a screen as a follower count, right? That it, it just is relevant to me. So, um, you know, so the idea that I'm sitting there making transfer rumors up for clout in my life, I can guarantee you that the people outside of Twitter, like my wife and stuff, couldn't care less about what clout I have on Twitter, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's just ridiculous, you know? I mean, she's, she's still the boss, isn't she, Phil? Let's be honest. Even though you've got 45 <laughs> and a half. It's more chance of getting twatted by her than Twitter. It's just absolute nonsense. It just, just doesn't mean anything in my life. It is totally irrelevant, you know? So um, it just, I, I, I look at these people who tweet this that you're, you know, people making these party accounts of fraudulent and then on. I'm like, anyway, yeah, I know. I completely feel I couldn't agree more. Last point I'm going to ask both of you is I just want to ask about the defensive problems because I think we've got to talk about a little bit of football. So just a couple of minutes each, but yeah. look. Kieran, I'll go with you first. The, the defensive problems were very well, they have been evident since the restart. Uh, hence why I think a lot of people want to sign the centre back. But as you mentioned earlier, Mengi is a great option. Young, 
role needs to be developed. But Twin Zabi for me is the one who I really want to see push through. That centre back partnership isn't working. Phil, myself and Kieran just did that. We did a Does Ollie Have Tactics show just before this. I'll tell you why, because people genuinely today were saying Ollie has no tactics. Zero. So we had to do physically do a show where we went back to his days at Mulder, did our research, and basically showed. And there's still gonna be people that are gonna say that. But what we said was that when you look at the way he played at Mulder, he liked to play high line, which he does at United, and the fullbacks sat very, very far up the pitch. Now, the question I ask Kieran is that, why did we sign Maguire, a player that doesn't have the pace, that probably isn't worth 80 million, I don't blame him, who probably one-on-one tackling isn't particularly good, and you know that United are going to play the high line, then why are we pairing him with Lindelof? And the second thing as well that people ask, I really like Wambasak, I think he's brilliant, but Positionally, he was he was terrible against he Brighton. Was. The amount of times yeah. caught so close next to my right, yeah. and a, a, better, a better player than Solly March would have hit two or three goals. You know, he would have taken some of those chances. Well, my question is: Is this a personnel problem, or is this a coaching problem? For me, it's a personnel problem because last year we thirty six goals conceded, the third best. I mean, that's completely false. If you actually watch United week in week out, they give you a heart attack. But on paper, yes, they were the best. A third best but i believe 11 of those goals were individual mistakes now some of them are de gea so mm-hmm. if de gea improves immediately then you you do gain what six to nine points next this season hopefully but that suggests to me that it's not necessarily the coaching it's completely the personnel yeah look even if we go back to last week with one basaka being too narrow there's there's also a reason for that is does he trust the center backs because if you have center backs that are not great at one-on-one defending and you're a defender that you know you can kind of make up for that maybe that is the reason why he's being brought in a little bit more because last season you didn't see that happening you saw where his mistakes were kind of more on the outside and you didn't see many mistakes up until probably after lockdown from Aaron Wan-Bissaka or if he did make a mistake positionally he was athletic enough to get back and he was able to make the tackle and we didn't really notice it but my, my issue has always been with Lindelof and Maguire is that neither one of them is a fantastic one-on-one defender. And if you're going to have a team that's going to have whatever it is, five, six players attacking forward, you need to have at least one of those centre-backs that are very good one-on-one defenders because we saw it against Crystal Palace. Zaha destroyed Lindelof because he just let, Lindelof just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and invited Zaha onto him. Personally, I think Ollie wanted Maguire and Axel to and Zebi playing last season. Now, unfortunately, after I think it was the Liverpool game that Axel pulled up before the game and he he was out for pretty much the rest of the season. Um, he's the style of defender. You want a big athletic and someone who's captained many different stages through his kind of youth development he's one that everybody has touted as a possible captain style player in defense look Maguire's the club captain but he's not a captain on the pitch he does he's not the one that's going to shout at the midfielders if they're out of position or he needs them to come back but you've seen Axel do that at certain levels you saw him do it at Aston Villa when he was injured for the first bit of the the season comes back and kind of leads them on helps lead them on that promotion push as well so he's he's one but I just don't think the Lindelof and Maguire partnership works because their their positives don't don't kind of weigh up against each other they are kind of 
each other's worst kind of center back partner, in my opinion. I think they make their yeah. they make their deficiencies even more glaring and 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 worse. I mean, you know, like I'm just passing yeah. on to Phil's the last point. That's yeah, I completely yeah. agree, Kieran. I mean, I've been to Nzebi sort of you know gets over those injury problems but phil the last word that center back pairing mm. you know i cannot build their side on that and if there's one it's not a criticism of ollie because i think i don't think he's necessarily got the options if Bailly's made the glass but he, he can't keep on persisting with that if by his fit because if by his fit you've got to play him surely yeah look i think there's a number of problems here uh first of all <clears throat> luke shaw also has a tendency to come narrow right um, and I, it, it, it is suggestive of a couple of things. First of all, when you you, you kind of want your fullbacks to be a little narrow because most of this, the dangers come from the center. Because they're, forwards are attacking channels and you want most of the danger when it's out wide, you have a minute to close that down and, and, and uh, it's not as much of a threat. But what you could see at the weekend was that Brighton were playing extremely wide, stretch and play, and United were constantly getting caught out. It also suggests that you don't have a lot of confidence in your centre-backs. When you play with three centre-backs, it's because, as Paul Merson pointed out, it shows a lack of trust in your two centre-backs, right? So United are almost playing with four centre-backs that um, are very narrow, right, with two narrow full-backs. Um, also, Wambasak is not the best going forward, so, um, so he tends not to stay too wide. Uh, should it, they should a defender should sense danger, right? Regardless of what Solskjaer is saying, there should be instinctive things that you should know early on. He's staying wide. I got to stay with my man. Your first responsibility, Wambasaka's quality is, is as a defender, right? Because we sacrifice what he gives going forward. So if he's not a great defender, then he's not great at much, right? He so he doesn't give you a lot going forward, but you accept that because he's good at defending. He was poor at the weekend, and United got away with it. Got really, really lucky, uh, and they've got a difficult stretch of games coming up too, where they can't afford that. Center back parents are like center forward parents. The old center forward used to be a big target man playing off a snippy striker. Right, very, very different qualities. Right, you didn't have two big Peter Crouches up front. Right, you had very different players that complemented each other. Maguire and Lindelof don't complement each other, right? So Maguire is too slow with balls over the top. He's not great coming out with the back from with the ball um, because he's right-footed. He cuts inside into danger a lot of time um, because natural left footer in that position plays the ball down the channel, right? But he doesn't because he comes in on a stronger foot all the time. But uh, there's also another problem that is quite interesting in that who screens the back four, right? And we saw Zaha with this where you had acres of space to run onto a back four. United, I think, want to play Pogba in that position, but I have my doubts that he can play that position. Even oh, with, in, the, in the number six. What's that? They want you want to play him as a defensive midfielder? We used, yeah, this is how, else are they, how else are they going to fit Van de Beek, Fernandez, and Pogba in the same midfield? So, so that, I think that's the question I've been wondering. Van de Beek well, uh, expected to start. Well, obviously, he's not going to, he didn't come here to, 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 to play five minutes, you know, and play in the League Cup. Yeah, true. And if you look at what they're interested in, Thiago, that suggests now that they're looking for a number six that sits in front of the back four. Right, who is a ball playing defensive midfielder, 
Um, and I think uh, you like a Jorginho, right? But you sacrifice. So when the manager Maric plays there, technically he's not great, but defensively he's much better, right? So I think um, that's a problem position for United in that how do you fit? The only way you can fit Pogba in there, but if you look at even just Southampton at home last season, he's caught in possession, right? In front of the back four, continued to go in the first 10 minutes, right? He was poor again at the weekend. Now, I know he's not fit. He had to deal with COVID and everything, and that's perfectly legitimate, right? Um, but uh, I think that back four is exposed because um, they don't have a legitimate screening holding midfielder to, to, to help them. Um, you, if you play Maddox in there, then you sacrifice the build-up play, right? So um, I think that is a problem. It's amazing to me they didn't get a centre-back. But even if you look at Luke Shaw, lads, right? So United are close on towers. What does that say to Luke Shaw? Right? This is why you don't drive these things out. Right? So you get it, get it done quickly. So you give Luke Shaw the option of moving on somewhere before the end of the season and saying, I don't want to stay here, boss. Right? I yeah. want to move on if you're not going to play me. And full credit to Luke Shaw. He came out himself a week ago and said nearly the same players. Okay, knowing that his position was one of the ones being targeted, I, I give him massive respect for that. Yeah. Right? So I think... Um, this is another reason why you don't drag out these signings. There's also a goalkeeping question to be answered, right? So let's say you need to bring in a left back and a goalkeeper. We have to change the hair for, for, for Dean Henderson. That's a massive amount to change. Then we're talking about another centre-back. Uh, actual twins, he spent all season injured. That's a concern. He's at a key point in his career. He needs to be playing football. Um, Menge is a right-footer uh, centre-back who plays on the left-hand side. But... Um, you know, he's very, very young. And uh, you, you can't judge him on uh, playing left-back against Salford. So I think he's a bright young talent. Um, but uh, I think the club needed another centre-back. They needed a left-back. They needed a right-winger. And Igalo leaves in a couple of months. So they also have to, to address the forward position. Probably the one thing they really didn't need was another midfielder. But I, <laughs> Van der Beek, I would take <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel that is... That's, I, I couldn't agree more. I know Kieran agrees with me. And look, we've run out of time, but Phil, thank you so much for coming on. That was that was great. Uh, Kieran, thank you as always. Cheers, mate. Thank you as always, Kieran, as my uh, co-host. Uh, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and we'll